Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Bringing people together makes us great, but in a pandemic, it makes us vulnerable. Because the first thing to go and the last thing to come back is large gatherings, and large gatherings is the lifeblood of the CFL. Unlike large U.S. based leagues, our biggest source of revenue is not TV, it's ticket sales. Governments coping with COVID-19 for reasons of public health that we totally support have made it impossible for us to do what we do. Our best case scenario for this year is a drastically truncated season, and our most likely scenario is no season at all. Yeah, just a quick recap of one of the key clips yesterday from CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi speaking to a House of Commons Finance Committee. And we will continue to look into this story tonight here on Inside Sports as we welcome Ryan King from the Edmonton Eskimos to the show. And he's also an executive board member with the CFL Players Association. Ryan, before we dive into all that stuff, it's good to talk to you again. How are you doing through all this, buddy? Hey, Reed. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me back. Um, things have been good. Just staying as busy you know, as we all can, um, working on all the little things in life, right? Lots of organizing and lots of planning and prepping and stuff. But I've been good and, uh, yeah, staying busy working through uh, through this with the, with the Players Association. So it's been good. Okay. We played that clip off the top of the show. Be- before we get into today's developments, what was your reaction yesterday when you heard those words from the commissioner that the most likely scenario is a cancelled 2020 season? Well, I think those are all scenarios that we've been uh, collectively discussing for, for weeks now, or almost even since the beginning um, uh, the COVID started. So, you know, from the executive level, we're, we're you know, on daily conference calls with um, our team and, uh, you know, multiple other resources we have um, trying to figure out what the best possible scenario this is this can be, and um, there's a lot of you know obvious things out there that everyone kind of knows of, and there's a lot of um, logistics that we're having issues with working around. But I think the most important thing, kind of at this point right now, is that we publicly and professionally are working together um, between the league and the players' association, and you know just to have the ability to put our differences aside, um, which isn't out of the norm, but just to be able to in times like this actually join forces, you know, collect our resources, put the proper face on this that we need and, um, you know, move forward together to, to find a solution. Okay, so I'm hoping you could tell me about that because, like you said, there were some sort of bumps in the road over the last couple of weeks. Were you guys able to talk today and can you share anything that came out of that? Yeah, we actually, um, you know, so after obviously the response um, uh, that came from, from uh, yesterday, um, we had some, some urgent meetings that we got together with the CFL. So I can yeah say that the response um, has been very positive from the Players Association side of things that uh, we spent all day today on conference calls working together. Um, our differences, putting together uh, a plan of action moving forward and a whole bunch of different uh, kind of avenues. Um, 
we both agreed on putting together some working committees and, and how to, you know, to get through this together collectively. And I think both sides now know, we knew all along, but both sides now know that this has to be a joint effort. And, and we're here to support the CFL above and beyond any of our differences we've ever had uh, because this is such unique times right now. And, and it's important that uh, we show as well, too, as all other professional sports uh, leagues have that uh, their players associations and the league are working uh, very close together. So today was a very positive day. Uh, we heard from, from their whole side and we had a lot of time to speak uh, about our issues as well. And um, we definitely look forward to, to moving forward and, and uh, putting the plan together. Okay. Well, I know you want to move forward, but I, I want to clarify that was addressed because some CFLPA members and Solomon Elamimi and one of them saying, Maybe the players had felt a little bit left out of the process at times. Was that cleared up? Well, I think that's an understatement uh, to, a, to a certain level. Of, and uh, this goes as far as um, we've put together our own, you know, a coalition of working committee. And we, we, we've, uh, you know, we've kind of uh, had to do things ourselves up to this point. And, and that's fine. We're, 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 uh, we're very, very, um, you know, united together as an association. We have a tremendous amount of support across other Unions and uh, you know high level high level people that, that have support for the players and, and you know our families and all the people that work in in, in the CFL. So I think the the big thing in, in that regard is that the players are having support and it's it's being known um, even from a provincial and federal level that um, if we're going to do this, it's uh, it's got to be together. All right. So w- one of the things a lot of fans have been been asking me. Ryan and and I and I see it, you know, kind of in social media, called media and opinion articles and things like that. Is it, it, the commissioner has put out these dollar values, and maybe hasn't categorized where that money is is going to go. Do the players have any clarity uh, on that from from Randy or the league that you can divulge? No, and I think that's just part of um, uh, the CFL. Uh, reacting in the way they did and I think that if they went back to do it again they would change a few things and and I think today was actually a very positive meeting in, in regards to them acknowledging that and understanding that they're that, you know we do have to come together um, I think when it comes to the dollar amounts I think you know again if they could go back again they would change it but just in regards to that those those figures I think are are much more um, just overall figures not much um, as detailed uh, as you know in clarity as, as I think the government wanted to see and I think that um, once we can kind of re-face this uh, funding uh, situation collectively together, I think you'll see a completely different approach um, that we've already spoke about um, that will be much more, you know, in detail and, and clear. And I think that, you know, the CFL is, is, is very important to, you know, Canadians and it's very important to sports in general and, and, you know, the amount of community work and all that kind of stuff that our, that our members do. Uh, has a lasting effect on, on, on kids and sports and, and all that stuff. So so we know that the, the government and the people want CFL back, you know, for entertainment for a whole bunch of reasons. And I think, you know, I, I do now feel uh, confident that our time will come um, with the government. And, the, and if we can, you know, approach this properly, that we will be able to get whatever funding is needed uh, appropriately. And, and we can collectively, you know, have a, a Canadian Football League um, in the future. Okay, so uh, let me ask you how this pertains to, to this season. Ryan King joining us on Inside Sports from the Eskimos and the CFL Players Association. Are, are you, and, and I, 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 I hate to ask you a yes or no question, but I think it's appropriate. Are, are you in agreement with the commissioner that the most likely scenario is no season? Well, I don't want to say that I'm in, in any agreements um, by any means, but I think our position and my position 
is definitely more off of the government regulations and the health officials and that's what we've been following and that's what we've been talking to the whole time so for for whatever resources uh, i think uh, the CFL uh, is using. Um, I, I don't think they're they're wrong as much as that's a that's a viable option. Just as much as a half game season, just as much as um, a whole bunch of other uh, scenarios. So I think it, it's important to express to Canadians and to sports in general that the COVID nineteen is much bigger than the CFL, and we understand that as a league, and we understand the safety of of, of our communities and everything, and we understand the impact we have, and that if we have to delay a season. Yeah, it will take massive um, revenue losses, but this is still something that we're willing to do um, to support, you know, government regulations and, and you know, all the world uh, health uh, regulations. So I, I know our time will come with the government. I think that we need to be patient and we have to, to um, wait for our time to come and it will come. And, and I know the government does uh, um, support the CFL and we're the, you know, only Canadian uh, professional sports organization solely in Canada. And there's a whole bunch of other reasons why um, uh, the country loves CFL. So um, I, I have I have hope uh, that there will be a season. I'm still training for a season. Um, and, you know, hopefully that we can uh, get back on the field as fast as possible. Ryan, I, I'm going to throw one at you here, and, and I'm sure you've heard this from people in the community or, or people around the country as, as they are engaged in, in what's going on. And, and as, as Randy Ambrosi came forward with this, you know, I, I had a very uh, spirited text from a listener last night expressing this sort of sentiment. And it is, what, what would you say to people who say, Ryan, why are we worried about people who play pro sports for a living? Why are we worried about pro sports teams owned by multimillionaires or even billionaires? Why should the government help? And, and I love that question. And, and I've really enjoyed getting into that question as well too because i think you can look at this from multiple different avenues and i think the approach that the cfl had originally going out just expressed and exposed the owner side the cfl side which is big money it's professional sports it's been around for over 100 years in canada it's massive annual um you know uh revenue generating for for a whole bunch of reasons it provides a ton of jobs uh all the way from stadium staff to all of our trainers you know it's a it's much bigger than just the players, and I think the players, these guys are, you know, their average careers are three years. I think a lot of people have the wrong perception that there's a lot of guys on our membership of, you know, 650 players that are earning $65,000 a year Canadian, and our, our average um, our average uh, per year is just over 80. Anyway, so if there's no season, we're the only professional sports organization that doesn't have guaranteed money contracts that we are out of money. So our entire membership, and this isn't, like I said, about, to me, the big money owners or the CFL, it's just about, you know, coming together and taking care of our membership because it's not just pro athletes that you see on the field. It's, it's their families at home. It's their groceries. It's all their bills. And if there's no season, we are completely out. So all business is going to need, at some point, government funding in some, some sort of way. And, and that's where I, I do know that I've been on all these calls and I've been behind the scenes on all this. There's, there's, there's no way that, you know, the government will come... Uh, once we can come together and put a proper plan together, I think that it'll be uh, viewed very, very differently than it is right now. Yeah, so just just to flat out clarify what you said there, there's no, the PA does not have an emergency fund. There is no money stashed away. If you, if you as a player and all your colleagues don't play games, you're not getting any sort of, okay, well, thankfully we have this to tide you over. Like, you play or you get nothing. Yeah, and the CFL, you know, that's kind of been a, 
part of something we've been working in, in collective bargaining in regards is, is trying to get guaranteed money. And it's for obviously you can never predict a pandemic rolling in and canceling a professional organization. But you, that, that's a part of reason why other sports organizations were able to cancel their season so quickly uh, because they, they are guaranteed money leagues and, and they have sponsorship and they have revenue. The CFL is fully, you know, we have to play the games to get the sponsorship, to get the gate revenue. We're a gate revenue run league. Um, you know, over 50% of it, you know, so even just playing with no fans, we wouldn't even break even. And I think it's important that people know that players get paid on an 18 game schedule. So right now for this to hit at this moment, like even for myself personally, like you budget as you have for X amount of years of playing. And, you know, I properly budgeted into this season. And now this season is non effective, at least for a period of time. So, you know, financially, you know, we do need um, help from the government and and i know if again we once we put it together properly we will be able to accomplish uh, everything ryan king from the edmonton eskimos joining us tonight representing the cfl players association as he's been telling you they had some uh, talks with the league today and they'll move forward from here and try to deal with the the fallout for the league from the pandemic so ryan uh the next what what's the next kind of milepost here for for you in the league if you and i are going to be talking again or if randy ambrosi is going to be on the show or making news you know what is that going to be about what's the next significant step for you in the league well i think the, the biggest significant step for us personally as, as an association is that all those next announcements are going to come collectively from the cfl and the cflpa so that's the first major step for us is that now we can be collectively working together so we're not wasting time we're finding creative ways to solve problems and you know even from our call today and how receptive the cfl was um to the association um how much time they gave us to you know talk through all of our scenarios all of our resources we we were open about a lot of things we already have discussed like i said multiple committees we're going to put together so you're going to see a lot of stuff get done here here very quickly but in reality all of this is run off of what the federal government, what provincial governments are going to stay. And for a prime example, Ontario today just said professional sports can go back um, into their facilities, but it's due to the league's discretion, where Calgary uh, yesterday canceled all sporting events till the end of August. So, you know, you can pick and choose all the battles you want to fight uh, against each other, and that's what we're both coming to realize, the PA and the CFL, is that we got to just come together. we got to take the punches how they go together collectively and you know, eventually our time will come if we're patient enough and, um, you know, we'll be, uh, we'll be helped out wherever we need to. Is there a minimum number of games that you feel would have to be played to make the season worthwhile in the regular season? Like, is it 6, 8, 10? I don't know. Well, it's easy now to state that because, again, we're running everything off of federal and provincial um, statements and regulations from world health officials. So, like, they've already said till the end – Calgary till the end of August, so right there collectively we can only play a Labor Day moving forward season. So, you know, again, we're, we're getting, we're going off of the same timeline that everyone else is getting um, and, and we're working and doing the best we can to find solutions for all these, but in reality, like I said, at times you have to realize that for the general health and safety of just the population in general and society and our communities and our kids, like it might actually legitimately be the right move not to have a season for a calendar year. But then you go into a lot more other issues of how do we sustain the CFL. And that's another big part of um, where we are with the CFL right now is putting a committee together of how we start the league back up 
when the time comes. Um, you can imagine there's a lot of logistics that we have to collectively work through. And to be honest, these things can happen very quickly because a lot of us have time to spend on them right now. So um, I feel like things will happen quick and whatever, whatever we get hit with, um, at least now we'll be collectively together on it. Right. Brian, did I miss anything that you feel would be important to say to fans tonight? I think just, you know, the overall, you know, message that's going on right now, I think during these times it's tough to get a positive message out there um, regardless of the situation. And I think the perceived image of it, it you know, isn't exactly um, accurate as much as, you know, we love the us players. We love coming and playing in these cities. We love eating all the restaurants. I love traveling around the country every year and seeing all the fans and, you know, all the, the games. And I think the CFL does bring a lot of excitement to, to a lot of our lives. Um, and I know that I think uh, we, we will need the fans' support in this. And that, that was the, I was where I was getting at is that the fans are going to be the final piece of this uh, puzzle is if we can sustain a proper solution to, to have football. And I really do think that the fans will come together when the time is right and understand that it's important we take care of the CFL as well. Ryan, we really appreciate the update. I know it was a busy day. All the best working through this, and thanks for coming on the show tonight. Thanks, Larry. We'll talk to you soon. That is Ryan King, long snapper for the Edmonton Eskimos and representing the CFL Players Association tonight. So there you have it. Talked with the CFL. Sounds like they ironed out some differences. Everything that happens from now on will be the uh, the two sides speaking together and uh, trying to figure out what they're going to do, how they're going to take this to the government, looking for some financial aid, you know, if there is no season or a shortened season. Your reaction is welcome. 780-496-0063 is the number to call or text. We'll call a quick timeout. up with my good buddy Bob Stoffer after the 7.30 news. What's going on with summer sports seasons for kids? Here's Dr. Hidshaw from this afternoon. At the moment, the activities are limited to those that can take place within the distancing measures. So activities where you have 15 people or fewer in a group, uh, where the if it's children participating in the activity, where children can be uh, kept two meters apart from each other. If they're doing something like kicking a ball back and forth, then that would be totally fine. Uh, but if they're sharing equipment, so throwing, um, throwing a ball or uh, a frisbee or something that touches many people's hands, that would not be something uh, that would uh, follow the, the rules right now. And so that question of when will a decision be made about other sports and whether there's any kind of precautions that sports that that may have, uh, for example, baseball where people handle a bat and handle the ball, is that something that can take place this summer? Or even soccer, uh, certainly kicking a ball back and forth is fine, but playing a game of soccer is difficult with uh, if we say the children have to stay two meters apart. So those are all things that um, are still under discussion and decisions haven't yet been made. All right, we'll talk about the future of uh, the CFL-NHL, get into some Oilers rumors with Bob Stoffer when we get back.
Well, sometimes it's nice to talk about something other than the coronavirus. And on this show, events and leagues and teams having their seasons delayed or canceled or whatever is going on. I stumbled across this on the good old internet today. Brian May, of course, the legendary guitarist for the band Queen, uh, wound up being hospitalized after injuring his buttocks in a gardening incident. May wrote on Instagram, I managed to rip my gluteus maximus to shreds in a moment of over-enthusiastic gardening. This is incredible. The story that it goes on to say, while May did not reveal how he had injured himself, he appears to have done significant damage to his buttocks. Now, if I were a really cheeky, sarcastic little troll, I would say something like, speaking of asses, let's welcome Bob Stoffer to the show. But I would never do something like that because he's my great friend and the host of the awesome program, Oilers Now, every day, noon to 2 at 6.30, Chet. Hey, Bob, how's it going, buddy? I'll tell you right now, Reed, if you had done that, uh, you wouldn't be pulling the foot out of your mouth. You'd be pulling the foot out of your ass. So look at it that way. <laughs> uh, that's that story straight out of Spinal Tap, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. He got over-enthusiastic gardening. That's a beautiful Well, that's like Tommy Lasorda's great line, right? What injury? The only injury I'm going to suffer at my age is sprained fat. <laughs> <laughs> that is uh, that is a good one. Well, I mean, we, we there's been some strange ones. Poor Dustin Penner and the uh, pancake stories uh, a few years ago. And wasn't there a baseball player that like uh, yes, George broke Brett, a finger 19, in the George, sorry, go George ahead. Brett during the World Series? Uh, I think it might have been the uh, well, it would have been in '80 maybe 1980 World Series. Uh, had an issue with preparation age that was uh, kind of went right down the toilet as well. <laughs> George Brett, great player. They finally uh, got over the hump against the uh, Yankees in nine. Didn't they lose the World Series though in '80? Yeah, because yeah, the, the the Pirates were Phillies. That the we are, is that the We Are Family Pirates? Okay. Well, anyhow, uh, anyhow, there's there's also a legendary video of George, which is on YouTube, which involves an incident that he had at a, a casino in Las Vegas, which of course Kurt could currently happen but uh george could hit him and the brett family has run the spokane chiefs for a number of years and uh, there's your transition into hockey all right uh yeah i gotta uh, just quickly clarify it was uh the phillies beat the royals in six in 1980 the pirates had won the, the previous year okay we're gonna cover as many things as we can here bob in a few minutes it's always fun having you on especially on a friday you tweeted uh, earlier today there has been some tracer fire again that Edmonton would consider moving Jesse Pugliarvi to the New York Rangers for prospect Leas Anderson. We were at both those players' drafts when they both went relatively high. What are you thinking about this tracer fire? Yeah, well, I don't think there's much to it. Uh, I think from the Ranger perspective, I think that they'd love to do something like that. The concern of Leas Anderson is, uh, I mean, and let's face it, they're both disgruntled prospects in the current organizations they're in. The only difference is Paul Yarby has accomplished more at the NHL level than Anderson uh, did. Uh, Anderson wasn't even willing to play in the American Hockey League this year. Uh, he's a year behind in his draft year. He went seventh overall in 2017. Uh, Paul Yarby went fourth uh, back in 2016. Um, 
but you, you know, one of the concerns in Anderson's game is that he he simply lacks the foot speed to be a legitimate top nine forward, and he's he's probably got to play center. So he's he's kind of like a fourth line center type, and I don't see the Edmonton Oilers trading him Reed uh, to the Rangers uh, in a deal for Pulleyarvey. I think they'd like to to try to take a couple other types of swings. How that would be prospect and pick a couple picks, I'm not sure. Uh, I just don't see him trading him for Leah Anderson. What what what, you, what is this number you're you're telling about? 114 and one. Well, you know, there's been a lot of trades between Edmonton and the Rangers over the years, but one of the worst uh, swaps that occurred was a result of uh, an offer sheet that came the way of the New York Rangers. Uh, they put an offer sheet on an Edmonton Oilers player in the fall of 1991, and it was uh, right after the Canada Cup. Actually, it was right during the Canada Cup. And uh, that player, Adam Graves, went on to score 114 goals in the next three seasons for the New York Rangers. The player the Oilers got back, Troy Millette, had actually outscored Graves the year before in 1991. So they, they basically just purely looked at stats. Uh, Millette was a heavily penalized player. I don't think he was he was a bit of a spot picker, whereas Graves would surprise you in fighting a little bit. And uh, Millette scored one goal as an oiler before they moved him out, I believe in a deal for Dave Maley, but I'll never forget that. 114-1. to 1. Glenn Sather was of the belief that Adam Graves could be a future captain for Edmonton. The Oilers lost him to an offer sheet, and they got back a guy at Troy Millette who scored one goal in Edmonton after Graves put up 114 in the next three seasons. Didn't exactly work out for Edmonton. Adam Graves in 93-94, 52 goals, 79 points, 127 penalty minutes, and then 17 more points in the playoffs as obviously the Rangers ended that long drought and won the Stanley Cup. Bob, you, you and I have been lucky to see some incredible Oilers performances over the last decade or so. Scriven's 59 saves, Gagne 8-point night, 6 points from McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl getting four goals against the Nashville Predators. We can go on and on, uh, but in terms of a playoff performance, is, is this one of the top all-time 30 years ago today? Well, it is It is for me, and and part of it, you know, with Mark Messier, uh, part of it was that Gretzky was gone, and, you know, the Oilers were down two games to one against Chicago. It was a Sunday afternoon game. I remember watching it. I was in Wells, British Columbia at the time. And Messi just took the game over. And I remember Sports Illustrated, pretty sure as Michael Farber had written a two-goal, 4.86 elbow performance. And uh, I know that Doug Wilson hacked him across the side of the head on the second goal after Messi broke right up the middle. And Messi, the death glare that he gave back to the Chicago bench. And the Oilers, you know, they were down 2-1 in that series against Chicago, and they went 7-1 and the rest of the way in the playoffs. And... To me, that forever cemented the legacy of Mark Messi. I mean, he, yes, he was the MVP in 84, but it was his elevation of play uh, that showed you that he could flat out, you know, and, and I think we do that. And, and Reed, as a younger guy, like I tried, you know, I tried, and, I, and a lot of guys said I was a bit of a jerk for doing it, but I tried to play a bit like that uh, competitively with that. And, and of course, as I got to, uh, you know, have Wayne Gretzky around the team the last three or four years and just be treated so well by Wayne, Wayne's now my favorite former Oiler, uh, along with Kevin Lowell. But 
at that time, Messi was the guy that all my buddies wanted to try to play with because of the physical intimidation in this game. And that game in Chicago, for me, will forever cement. I'll never forget it for just how dominant and how good he was. It's a tough place to play. The Oilers were down two games to one, and they took care of business against Chicago, then obviously beat Boston five in the 90 Stanley Cup final. Was it Messier? Who who has that famous uh, pain threshold line? Or was that about Jason Smith? Yeah, Robin Brownlee had the line about Jason oh. Smith. He has the pain threshold of a cadaver. All right. Uh, I thought I thought Cam Cole had one that Messier had the pain threshold of a Cro-Magnon man or something like that. Well, I could be mixing was, up the eras. But Cam had some good lines along the way. Well, Cam was a terrific writer. I mean, he could really turn a phrase. You know, the, the guys like Mark Spector would be the first to tell you they wish they could write like Cam Cole. Uh, Messier, one of Peter Zosky wrote a piece, which Mark wasn't very happy with, uh, in the game of the lives back in the 1980-81 season. Uh, but Mark obviously was a physical freak. There was no debate about it. And the speed that he played with, but also just a different game read. Like, he he was an intimidating player that often crossed the line. And I think realistically, like, he's, sec- what, second all-time in career points right now? I mm-hmm. think realistically, uh, had he played today, if you had looked at his body of work and what got him suspended and uh, the major penalties he took, he might have over 200 games in suspension to the NHL with how, with how it's managed today. Like, he right. just obviously would have tailored his game appropriately, but he knew how to hurt guys and finish guys. But he just kept on getting better, and that's what I admired about him, Reed. Like, you know, he came in, and he was basically a left winger playing with Hagman and Anderson. And by the end, he was carrying the team as a first-line center and became went from being a shooter to a playmaker, special player. It's been interesting with uh, the, the 87 Stanley Cup final having been replayed over the last couple of weeks on, on Sportsnet, Bob. Uh, I mean, you, you, you've had a couple of orders on your show. I got to talk to Ron Hextall. And those Oilers and Flyers played in that in that bitterly contested series, and then a lot of them were teammates on the '87 Canada Cup team. And you know, it sounded like they they, they gelled they gelled pretty well. There was still there was still a lot of respect. You know, obviously Hextall didn't play because fewer uh, played every game. But to me, somebody tweeted about a month ago: if you could only watch one past hockey game for the rest of your life, what would it be? And I said game three of the 87 Canada Cup final, no questions asked. Yeah, I think that'd have to be up there. I'd, I'd, I'd have to consider the New Year's Eve game between the Canadians and uh, Central Red Army in 75. And, you know, Canadians outshot them 38 to 13. The Russians had a huge advantage. They played together all the time, you know. And the other thing is, and I want you to think about this because it can parlay in our current conversation where we're at right now, Reed. Like, the Russians basically trained for 10 and a half to 11 months a year. Trained to end. So, they, you know, they were on skates more in a year than Canadian players were back in the 80s. And for the most part, so many of them played on Central Red Army or Moscow uh, Dynamo, which is where Semenov played, uh, Anatoly Semenov, not Alexei Semenov. They, they both later played for the Oilers. That You know, they, they were really familiar with each other. And their style wasn't conducive to the nastiness of the edge of the North American game. So they didn't have a similar type of hatred between one another. So I think the Russians had a significant advantage in international hockey. I'm, I'm a guy, I respect them, I love their skill, but I also factor in that they were together all the time. And if you had given 
you know, if you'd taken the best 22 to 24 players in Canada and just played them together for months on end, uh, I don't think these games would be as close as they were because I think Canada, uh, the other thing is, I think Canada would have needed to play as much on the edge. I mean, Rick Talkett in game three, Brent Sutter, those guys were running around when Canada was down 3 nothing. And they got away with a bunch of calls because it was it was a little cheesy and dirty and greasy. But uh, nonetheless, I'm with you. It's, that that series was phenomenal back in 1987. 1987 is probably one of my favorite years of my life. I mean, the Eskimos won the Grey Cup, the Oilers won the Stanley Cup, and Canada won the Canada Cup. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a great point. That that was an incredible year for sure, and a lot of exciting events. Bob Stoffer, Oilers now host, joining us here on Inside Sports. Okay, so your shows, well, it's always very interesting, but the last couple of days couple things really struck me brian burke yesterday and brian's been very i wouldn't call him pessimistic but he's been very much let's consider how hard it is to get the nhl season going he has said that he he thinks it might not happen elliot friedman always has a lot of insight i loved how he put forward today bob a bunch of variations that the league might have to consider if you had a 2014 playoff could you have total goal series where the higher seed starts with a one or two goal lead or, or things like that. I mean, I, I think anything's on, on the table. The thing that bugged me, though, is if, if the Oilers are playing in a pod, why can't those games be in Edmonton? There aren't going to be any fans, so you kind of lose a lot of the, the home ice advantage. Reed, I'm 100% with you. It defies logic not to. And it also, it, the league's got to be focused on saving money, too. It's part mm-hmm. of the reason why we're going to have two of the four. If if they're fortuitous enough to play, and we all know Western Canada right now is in a lot better shape, uh, certainly, you know, Vancouver, Edmonton, Winnipeg are in a lot better shape than several markets in Eastern Canada and the United States, Canadian dollar being at 70 cents. I mean, there's a strategic advantage to the NHL playing in Canada. So I, I would assume two of the four pods will be in Canada, but I would have Edmonton. If it's Edmonton, if it's in the, you know, the Pacific, should either be in Edmonton or Vancouver for me. Uh, the Atlantic should be in Toronto. Like I, that would be automatic. Uh, you, you know, the league's got to find a way, and the players need to, you know, not worry that one team might get home ice advantage. What they need to worry about is a situation where they, they, they're going to have to be as creative as possible to play, because not every league is potentially going to get the chance to play. So if they get a chance, they got to go for it and not worry about the little minor things like one team potentially having a minor advantage at home. I mean, that's that's the way I see it. I mean, I look at what's going on in the CFL, and I, you know, I love football. You know that. Maybe not quite as big a fan of the CFL as I used to be as a kid, uh, but I've been concerned for those guys and for all the people that work around that league as well. Um and, uh, and you know, tonight Adam Silver, today we found out Adam Silver told the NBA Players Association they might not have fans for the 2021 season. Yep. I don't know how hockey exists without fans. So we'll see where this all goes, but it's a very tricky time, to say the least. I'm, I'm, I'm going to circle back to what you said, too, about the the host city, whether it's Edmonton or whoever in the NHL, that that team wouldn't play there. Another, another reason that that doesn't make sense is traveling is not easy right now. Right. And traveling has been part of the reason this virus spread. So why put eight extra teams on planes because you got to move them around so no one's 
playing at home. I mean, to me, it's just simple. Bring in, limit the travel, limit the number of plane rides for these guys. Yeah, I, I do. I do kind of agree with the concept of 24 teams of maybe eliminating players from seven teams who have no, ch- you know, don't worry about completing the regular season, get to the playoffs, uh, and and sort of go from there. I I, I totally agree with Elliot in that perspective. A lot's got to happen. Uh, you know, Edmonton over the course of the last five days has had. A combined total if you subtract a couple days where they actually had minus one in terms of positive cases like we're, we're looking at five uh five positive tests over the last uh 3400 tests in edmonton so obviously we're lucky here things are going pretty well some people are probably doing a pretty good job uh you know maintaining social distance but also you know edmonton's population densities played to their advantage lack of international flights initially all those sort of things have worked out uh, a long, a long way to go, Reed. And again, I like. I know you love the CFL. I'm concerned for the Canadian Football League. Oh, so am I. I, I absolutely am. And people have asked me, well, how how are you doing without hockey? And I've said, well, I'm kind of treating it like the off season. And I know it's I know it's going to be back. It's just a matter of, of when. See if the CFL missed the season, man. I don't, I don't know if it'd be back or if we'd be back in the same form. One more for you, Bob. Have you seen uncut gems with Adam Sandler and? NBA legend Kevin Garnett. I have not. Uh, Highly recommended. What have I? Who's? Uh, well, I've, I've watched a bit of Dave Chappelle, um, and I just started Hunters. Louis de Rusk has got me on Hunters, which is uh, a story about uh, you know uh, some individuals, uh, primarily Jewish, obviously, that have targeted going after uh, Nazis back then. Well, that's the Al Pacino one. Yes, with Al Pacino. And it's, yeah, I'd uh, like to check that one out too. And uh, what about Last Dance? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I, I, I like it. Is it going to be 10 episodes? I, sometimes I feel like I, I, if I don't, I, like I feel I don't think it necessarily needed to go that long. It's neat seeing Pippen and Jordan and some of those guys look back on it. I got to say, Bob, it would have been nice to have current interviews with Jerry Krause because I, you, I, can, you can tell yeah. Jordan is loving kicking him when he's not around yeah i i brought that up with jack today like to me that's the one thing i'm a little bit uncomfortable with we all know kraus had an ego it's clear as day uh maybe there was you know i I, it just the criticism seems a little over the top for a guy that's not there to defend himself bob always a pleasure someday i will see you in person take care man see you have a great weekend talk to you monday that is Bob Stoffer, host of Oilers Now, noon to two every day on 630 Chet. Back after the break. Oh, we're already done. Time flies, baby. Thanks to Dave Campbell, the producer of Inside Sports. Kellen Kennedy is your studio producer. We will be back Monday at 7, and uh, we do have a scheduled interview. I alluded to this guest earlier. Uh, We do have a scheduled interview with Todd McFarlane, former member of the Edmonton Investors Group that owned the Oilers and a former Spider-Man artist, creator of the character Spawn, Sports memorabilia, collector, all-round interesting guy. He's scheduled to join us on Monday. My name is Reed Wilkins. Have a great weekend. Stay safe. We'll talk. Kellen, don't you have the hobo? Where's the hobo? 
The hobo won't play today for whatever the reason. Hobo won't play. The hobo is broken. I gotta work I on it for next weekend. The, the littlest hobo ate the tape. Yeah. Used to play his song. <laughs> I gotta go corral the dog. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Gillen, thanks for all your hard work. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. It's always a pleasure to bring you the show. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.